Welcome back to the Call Me Coach podcast. After a long delay, we are back with an episode just in time for the Virginia Beach City Public Schools Administrators Conference with one of their own, Miss Beth Bianchi. Miss Bianchi is the principal at John B. Dye Elementary School. I had the opportunity to meet with her just prior to the close of the end of the school year. She had some tremendous insights. I cannot apologize enough for the length that it took to get this episode up, but hopefully we'll be on a much more regular interval here going forward. Enjoy listening to Miss Beth Bianchi. What were some of your first teaching experiences and how did you get here? <laughs> okay, well, um, I got here in Virginia Beach because my husband is Navy, so which I know you know all about military life. So we moved in and out of this area several times. And But when I first got out of college, I went to the University of Delaware. I had a job. We were stationed in San Diego, and I was teaching kindergarten. And then the next year, it went to kindergarten, first grade. And then the fi- next year, it went to kindergarten, first grade, too. A little tiny private school. And um, I absolutely loved it. It was brand new. The director was very open thinker and said to me, you know, we really don't have a curriculum. Would you like to write one? I said, okay, sure, why not? You know, I was 23 and thought, I'll give it a stab. So I developed their reading curriculum and bought materials. You know, back that was back in the day when you had the Basil series, but I felt like I'd picked a good one and they also didn't have a math curriculum, so I got to pick that. And then the science and social studies was all a unit that I would write and it was great. We had, we had a lot of fun and the kids were super cute and it was all about an experience approach then so this is you know back in 1984 and and everything I did I wanted to do some kind of field trip or some experience to go with it and for one of the social studies units uh, in February I had or I guess it was a little bit earlier in the year I was doing on our country and patriotism and doing the flag and at that time I'd gotten this little set of the president pictures of all the presidents and the kids started to learn who they were and the Capitol building and the monuments and all of that. And I went to my director and as as kind of a uh, joke, I said, you know, why don't we do a trip to Washington, D.C.? And this is San Diego, right? She said, why not? And I said, okay. So then we planned it based on getting volunteers to go or parents to go. So I ended up having 15 kids go and we had a, a parent or another adult for each child, flew across the country, and did this stay the, the school was affiliated with a little church and um, that had a, a branch in DC so we slept sleeping bags there and we we were gone for seven days and it all went really well um, until Wednesday we left on a Saturday that Wednesday one kid's mom called and I would try to concur to, and this is you know for cell phones or texting I can't even imagine Anybody doing this now, I can't imagine myself as a principal even agreeing to this now. But um, one mom called because she just couldn't stand it. And her son started crying. And then everybody started crying. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so we're sitting there singing. And, you know, I'm patting them all to sleep. And all the other people that were with us, they were a bunch of church ladies that they would cook the dinners, you know, make the spaghetti and, and all of that. But... We, the things we got to do that were very memorable were to see the, we went to the Capitol and they flew a flag over 
for us that day. We went to the White House and the kids were member knew all the president pictures and we went on the canal barge and the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial and and you know I I've heard from a couple of those kids since then and they're all adults and have children of their own and and they remember that which is you know I thought gosh they're so young I don't know if they'll remember that but so that was pretty powerful way to start my career kind of with a lot of trust placed in me so and then we uh, went to uh, Georgia and I taught in a Catholic school taught second grade for a couple of years there and that was fun and then from Georgia we went to came back we came here and I didn't really do anything I had my first daughter and then uh, we moved again to DC and there I taught special ed uh, emotionally disturbed teenagers in a, a school that was contracted out. It might have been something comparable to CSEP, but I had um, 13 uh, emotionally disturbed and learning disabled and multi-handicapped kids between the ages of 13 and 21. And that was a very interesting experience too. And then uh, we came back to this area and I had gotten my first job I, I was a director of Broadway Manor for a while, and then I got my first actual job in the public schools at Newtown Road for about, I, and that was part of the year. I started in October and went through the whole year. And it was supposed to be a part-time job, which was perfect for me at the time, but um, it ended up, they kept getting more and more kids identified, and then my job went from part-time to full-time. And it was more than full-time because I lived out here in the Great Neck area and by the time I left home and by the time I got home it was almost an 11-12 hour day and I had a little one in preschool and another one in elementary and I just said this is just a little too hard. So they wanted me to stay on, they had the allocation but I had to, I had to kind of back off that for the next year and, and just went back to working in the preschool. Did that a couple, for a year or two and then we moved to Philadelphia for a year. And at that time, I taught fourth grade, and for for that for just that one year, and then we came back, and then I got a job at Allenton, and I taught special ed at Allenton, and then I got I was a priority transfer uh, from there, and ended up at Trantwood, taught special ed there for about seven years, and during that time, my husband had different duty stations in and out, but I stopped moving with him because it was getting too hard. Where he went, he went back to D.C at one point and then came back here for a while and then went back to Phil went to Philadelphia again had kind of been there done both of those so it was in that time frame that I was able to get my master's degree in administration so um, I was really glad to do that went to ODU to do that and it was a cohort with the school system so that was fabulous I don't really think that program I don't think they do that anymore it didn't work out past that but it was perfect for me and then from there, from that program, uh, st stayed at Trantwood another year or so after I finished it and then got assigned to Old Donation Center as the assistant principal and loved that. During that time, got my gifted endorsement, uh, which was a great compliment to my special ed. Is when, I got it, when I was assigned to ODC, I just couldn't believe it because I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I've been <laughs> in special ed all this time. I mean, I have a, had a dual degree in regular ed and special ed, but... Um, you know, no one really needed me in general ed. They really needed me in special ed. But it was, it was such a gift because I took all those gifted courses, got my endorsement, learned, sat in 
what they were doing back then, which was collab collaborations and curriculum writing, and coming from a no clue standpoint from the gifted population, just at how that all worked in a school like that. So um, I just learned so much through those three years. And then after that, well, they put me a bird neck. <laughs> so I did that for two years, and that was another amazing learning experience. Uh, absolutely loved it. And from there, I ended up here at John B. Nye as the principal here. So One reason I was excited to have you on the podcast was you do have a wide range of experiences as a teacher and then an administrator, now at a very well-known, prestigious, high-achieving school. To backtrack to your SPED background, what lessons did you learn as a special education teacher that help you still today? Well, I mean, the bottom line is there's, there's two things that I follow with everything that was special ed, maybe particularly, but with all kids is, A, you'll do what, you do whatever it takes to help them learn. That's it. You just, if one thing doesn't work, then something else, you got to keep trying. And no matter who the kids are, with spe and, and with special ed especially, you have to make that connection with the children. You, you know, you can't just jump right in and say, okay, you don't know how to read, I'm going to work on this. You have to, they have to know you care about them, and they have to know you love them. And you sometimes have to work on that a little bit more than you, before you can hop right into get into those IEP goals and that, but it doesn't take that long. I, for the most part here in our school system had the little ones, the younger ones, but then at one point I had K to five and all, everybody, all disabilities, you know, it just depends on how the allocations work. But it's hard at times because parents sometimes are really demanding, but the key is if the parents know you love their child, it's, it all works out. They, as long as they know that you're going to do whatever it takes to help their child, then you can get through the, the paperwork issue, the whatever the little argument or situation is about, well, I want this service or I want that service or we don't want this, we don't want that. And that's what makes a difference. And you have to spend a lot of time talking to people and letting them know. And that communication is, is probably the biggest piece of all, you know, and I, I'd say that is, that's what I learned from that, how to really connect with the parents. What's the biggest misconception about students who qualify under special education? Well, there's several. I mean, it's, you know, not, well, one, for one thing, none of them are the same. So you can put them in a identify, identifying category and, you know, you can try to group them and try to think it's going to fit out, fit just perfectly, but it's definitely not. And I think that, that a lot of times with parents, when, you're, when their kids are identified, they're, they're immediately scared. They think, my child is going to be isolated in some wing of the school, and they're never going to be with their regular ed peers, and it's going, you know, so I feel like, I feel like they have to know that right away, that we include our kids and they have access to the entire general ed curriculum. And I, I do feel the misconception is that they can't do or they can't learn or they'll, they always have to have things taken down for them when really in the bottom line is it's, it's about differentiating it and that design, especially design instruction is really supposed to be so that they can do whatever anybody else is doing just 
with these extra supports and the scaffolding, but that not everybody knows that, especially in the general population who haven't had any experience with special ed kids. And a lot of people are afraid of them too, which makes me sad. You know, they think, oh, this one has a problem or, you know, every now and then I'll get a weird call from a parent that'll know that there's a child in a class that has an IEP or a special needs and they will immediately say, why is my child in class with that student? And that just irritates me, like nothing I can tell you. So it's like, why is that a problem? Last one on sort of past experiences, so to speak. Who or what have you learned the most from in the process of, of getting here? Okay. Um, I, I have two people that here in Virginia Beach have made a huge impact on me. And uh, one was Dr. Slaughter, Dr. Patsy Slaughter. She is the principal at Trantwood when I was there. And, and I just, I don't know, from the time I got to that school, she just amazed me by her the way of connecting with people and how she knew people's names. And she was just so gracious and very positive and encouraging. And I just, you know, I always felt like if, if I could, would talk to her about anything that she would really listen and was on it and responsive and you know such and she's the one who pushed me to go into administration she she when I got there she pulled me into all kind of leadership things and then uh, one day she gave me this pamphlet for the ODU cohort and she had tried to she'd been telling me for years before you need to do this you need to try this but for me it was all about finding what was right as far as schedules timing with my kids because my husband was gone all the time so it just I someone had to be around to raise them <laughs> and so I just didn't want to get too preoccupied with a program that would because I when I do something like that I'm all in and it's all-consuming to me so um, and she's she's a dear friend to this day and then the other person that along the line at when I got to um, well I got to ODC it was kind of a combination was Glory Harris that principal there she was I learned so much from her and then when I took the classes from Dr. Hedrick so uh, learning learning all about the gifted pedagogy and what is done for kids that are gifted and there was a lot of connections between special ed and gifted it really in a lot of ways is not that different it's just you know the path or the avenue or just finding the right scaffolds and supports and methods to get the kids to do what they need to do and take them as far as they can so I feel very lucky I've had a lot of really good role models and um, I always remember different things that they say and they pop into my head and get me through some days <laughs> oh I, I was gonna say Dr. Slaughter to this day I left Trantwood in 1999 still knows my name yep. still knows what I do yeah just she's just and she's, I do believe she's pushing you to keep going, isn't <laughs> she? She is, she is. Yep, yep, we'll, I know we'll, she is. We'll work on that. <laughs> um, as I mentioned before, you know, John B. Dye is, is a school that has a very positive reputation. You can go anywhere in the district, and I feel like whenever people talk about great schools, they talk about John B. Dye. They put John B. Dye at the top of the list, and it, it is at the top of the list in a lot of ways. From the principal, what makes John B. Dye great? Well, John B. Dye has a, a history that... Um, started way before I got here and it with leaders that brought it to really where it is I would have to say the community here is so dedicated to helping their children and because of that they they're supportive they want to be um, involved 
And it's not everybody. It's a large school. I mean, we have over 800 right now, and we do have... We, we have a lot of different populations, you know, and, and neighborhoods where some are definitely more affluent than others, and a lot of military where parents are deployed, sometimes both parents are deployed, and so some people are more involved than others, and, uh, but, I, but that passion that these parents have, and, you know, I find it so interesting when I get a phone call or an email from a parent from in Italy or in California or you know, just anywhere in the world, and they say, we are looking for a house, we, we want to come to your district, you know, so that the reputation, I mean, it certainly has nothing to do with me. I think it has everything to do with just history and word of mouth, and the teachers here are very, very dedicated, and they know how to really work with all of the community and, and make sure the kids are really happy, and we have very happy children, and it's and we're very they're very good so even when we have some kids that have some some discipline issues or anything they seem to be easy to um, take care of and help with because the majority are, are really very good and and nice people and nice kids and um, I think everybody's happy to come here every day it's difficult at times to maintain that standard mm -hmm. things change and we live in an ever-adapting world and technology happens and you know redistricting and there's many of those things what do you or how do you continue to motivate and improve and keep the standard of achievement high both for your staff and for your students well it's just it's a growth mindset that continues from day in and day out I mean we we can't get static. You can't get complacent at all. You can't just want kids to be compliant. You have to, you have to know that we want we want to light a fire under them. And and you know there is there a lot of things that people were doing here for years and years and years. But along with my time of arriving here, I feel like our system made a made a big shift in how things are done. Um, and going into the transformational learning now and the personalized learning. So it, it's difficult, as you say, to continue to grow when there's a lot of things going on, but you, we have to. So it it's, can cause some stress, it causes some discomfort, but we kind of want that, you know? We don't want people to be too comfortable and just, hmm, let me pull out the September box and let's see what I do. You know, it's not like that anymore. And we have to put our kids in the middle of the table where a lot, we still struggle. Some, some of our teachers still struggle with that because they're looking at the bazillion standards that we have to achieve in language arts and the bazillion in math and then everything else. And it's hard not to follow those when we have to flip it and have the kids, okay, what does this child need? Where are we with that? But we just keep doing it. We keep trying. We encourage. We do peer observations. We learn from each other. We help each other out. We, um, our collaborations have become very focused on the data and how to plan our instruction to meet the needs of all our kids. And we just, we're just not going to stop. It's never. We can't. We never will have say. Yep, we've arrived. We're done. With that. I, I know from my own experiences, you know, I subbed here for a period of time. A few of those teachers are still here, and they, they were teachers that I observed, did papers on, and, and they're all excellent and outstanding. 
what is, I guess for lack of a better word, what are some common denominators you see from the strongest teachers you either have or have worked with? The common denominator with the strongest teachers I have is just a passion for their kids and they love their students. They just love them. So, you know, those first few weeks of school, there's always that, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do with this one and this one's not listening and da 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 da. And then you get to January, even at that, and then, you know, all of a sudden everybody's this big happy family and they're, those people, those teachers will not stop until they have that connection and the connection is the biggest piece the connection with the kids the connection with the parents but even if you have the occasional parent that's sort of disconnected with us they still aren't giving up on the kid they're going to do whatever they can to make sure that child learns and um, one of the things i think has really helped with us in the last year we've really pulled in the responsive classroom in the morning meetings and that's just been an amazing community builder and those some of the best teachers I have here do that every single day without fail even though I've asked everybody to do it every day I know that it doesn't always happen every day but that is a connector and they're just willing to try anything you know you can ask them say hey you know we're gonna would you be willing to go to this conference in the summer and and learn this yeah sure that's great thank you for the opportunity or they're seeking out all kinds of ways to grow and even if they're veteran teachers, I have several very veteran teachers who could retire at any second, but they're, they're ready to keep learning and keep trying new things. And, you know, this, the digital uh, progression and, and the transformational personalized learning isn't, isn't baffling them at all. They realize they have to start small and they're getting it one step at a time. And I'm super proud of most of them for that. It's exciting kind of go back one question you mentioned that one of those sort of challenging things is pacing and standards and is something along those lines the biggest challenge you see facing teachers today or would it be something else huh. the bit well that I wouldn't say that's the biggest challenge I feel like that's what overwhelms them the most because they just want to get it all in and they're worried about the report cards and all of that. I think the biggest challenge what facing them today is our kids are coming uh, with kind of different, different ways of looking at life, different attitudes. Um, parents question a lot, right? So I think at my school, uh, sometimes the intent, which is a double-edged sword, very positive in some ways, but the intense parent input and feedback and interaction can be the challenge because and then when you do have a situation with a child who's not doing everything they should do or maybe they're you know you're not feeling like they're working to their potential and then you know we do have a factual parents that are like well we have this or we have that and they make a lot of excuses for kids and that's frustrating to teachers because you know the parents don't want to really hear that this kid's not doing well and it, you know and they shouldn't, you know, a lot of the routines for bedtimes and good food and just really getting kids organized and getting their head in the game to come to school, Those a lot of those things are falling apart. The family units are falling apart. Some of the divorce situations where it's really difficult, where you have to have two sets of this and two sets of that, and then the parents are squabbling and upset, you know, that that's a lot of work for, for the teachers. And they will... 
um, you know, they do a lot of emailing, and then even though sometimes you know it's just better to pick up that phone, but it's just they want to just, uh, I don't, you know, don't want to spend 30 minutes of my life talking to this person right now, but realize they have to do that and it's and it and it overall it's time I mean so the pacing of the standards is one thing but it is time it's time to really gather the materials plan the lessons assess the lessons assess the children make sure they have it reteach it if they don't have it keep you know pull that small group get the whole group align the learning targets make sure it's all done ready to go and then it, then at three o'clock they've got they open their inbox and there might be a ton of stuff from me and there might be a ton of stuff from parents and and they're just wah can't do it you know so honestly i think i think that's our biggest factor is time they'll say they want time to plan but then that pulls them away from the class and they don't want to do the lesson plans to go for the collaboration time to plan so it's just the big word is time i'm not sure where you get it from but um that's Anytime I can give them more time, they I it's like I've given them a million dollars. So this question is a little strange, but everybody's always had a great answer for it. What is something that educators or administrators are doing that you think is insane? Um it's interesting. I feel like we just don't stop. You know, there's just you just never feel like you've done enough, you know? And whereas I feel like other people in other facets of the community, they can close their, you know, calendar and, you know, tidy up, put their pen in their thing and then leave for the day and, and not really worry about it and they don't have to take it home. And and there are choices. I mean, we there are, I feel like there are some that are better at this than others. I am not, you know, this is a 24 seven job and, and I think the insanity is we allow it to be, and then we fight with it, and that's kind of what makes it crazy, because, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, and it's really hard to, to throttle back. And it's good because it's, it's all about what you care about and your passion, but it's bad because it sucks the life out of you sometimes. Are there any themes or mantras or things that you say every day I come to John B. Dye, I want to make sure I do this. Well, my, my new thing recently on our announcements, we end it with have a great die day. And I think that's kind of fine because now the kids are saying that and they say it to me and then they say it when I'm not there. So I, I like that. I've been trying to come up with something like that, that I felt was, you know, positive yet not too long or anything. But um, I just feel like I'm constantly telling people, we got this, you can do it. I'm so proud of you. You know, just, I just want to let kids know and the teachers know that I'm here for them. And I'm like, what do you need? How are you? And then the other one is to people who aren't happy, I say, I'm sorry. What can I do to help you with that? I'm sorry that happened. Oh, I'm sorry you upset. I'm sorry this didn't come in. I'm sorry I didn't answer your email. I'm sorry I didn't get your phone call. You know, say sorry a hundred times. But, you know, people need to know that you are care about what they think. And, um, yeah, that's, I pretty much say those things all the time. <laughs> you got this, and I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you want your students either during their time here or as they leave and we're coming towards the end of the year here what do you want them walking away saying or thinking about their time here yeah. 
Well, it's funny because at the end of this is the best time of year for that because the fifth graders are all nostalgic about leaving and going to Great Neck. And then we hear that we see the, the sixth graders come over and I hear what they say. And, and the best thing that I want them to feel is like, you know what? I learned a lot and I was loved while I was doing it. And, they, and, then, and I'm ready to go to the next step. And, you know, our mission talks about them becoming uh, quality 21st century citizens with, with in a, an innovative spirit and, and desire to try new things and, you know, be good citizens uh, wherever they go. And I feel like that's, we do prepare them for that, but I don't feel that they're going to say that. I just, I just want them to know, to feel like that was a really happy time of my life. And... I, you know, remember the good times and the times they were very successful and take that with them as something that makes them feel like, yeah, I did it. I did a good job while I was a jumpy dive. This would be interesting considering you have a daughter who's an ITS. Yeah. Um, how do you view technology impacting education? Do you see it positive? Do you see some, there's always some negatives associated, but where do you see technology taking education? Well, I think technology has impacted education in a very positive way. Uh, you know, you can get anything at, at the tip of your fingers. You can find out information so quickly. If you're curious about something, let me just look that up. There it is. Um, I think that our kids are totally all about it, and, and we have to be able to give them that opportunity to have devices in their hands and to utilize them for to expand on their learning and with each other and collaboration. Uh, I think the, uh, like you said, with my daughter Anne as the ITS, it's been very helpful and, and fun for me because I'll listen to her talk about something or I'll, I'll follow her on Twitter and and I'm thinking, what, did, what was that? What did you just do? You know, so it's really exciting and it's, it's so much easier to find out new things like professional development for adults and then for kids just new things to try I think one of our drawbacks is is the responsibility piece for children and the you know and parents you know I've, ha I've had several conferences with parents where you know for one reason or another a child's not succeeding and they will they will literally say to me well he's just so obsessed with that iPad and you know he plays Fortnite or he's on this or that and and I just don't know what to do. He's up late at night and, you know, he won't go to bed. And I just sort of sit there and I'm thinking, well, what? Did they buy that iPad? And they'll say, well, no. And I said, so technically you own it, correct? And they'll say yes. I said, well, why don't you take it away? Well, I can't do that. I'm like, well, why not? <laughs> why can't you take it away? Why can't it be, you know, especially, you know, you have your screen time, you have your time that you're going to do this, and then at dinner time it goes somewhere and they don't see it again, or you allow them a half hour or whatever. So I feel like there's a lot of parents that don't really know how to control this, and it's like a runaway train. Same thing with the cell phones and the texting, and now there's this Musical.ly, which I'm just now learning about, in a not because it's been good, <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, just these things that the kids are getting into that we find out later like we certainly are the last to know you know as a parent for me with the kids that are 25 and 29 
I didn't have as much of this, you know, I had a little bit of it, but I pretty much knew what my kids were doing most of the time, and in the younger ages, this was never even a, a thing. So I do think there's that sort of a problem, you know, the, the, the constant texting or the irresponsible immaturity that they, they're just not ready for some of it, and they, they get exposed to things they really shouldn't get exposed to, and then it gets all convoluted and distracting and I think that's the hardest thing you know but the the good part is in school you know we can help them do so many good things with it and set them up for life uh, there's so many jobs that they're going to be amazingly prepared for I love going in one of my classes who really embraced um, well you said you were going to probably talk to Mr. Jumper really embraced the uh, the new um science curriculum with the hyperdocs and really using those pathways and the kids are just awesome you know they and we have a lot of people doing passion projects and genius hour and the, where the kids can research what they want to do so it's it's wonderful because it's like after you get this done you you've got your free reign to do this and then you know if there are times where they go on a site that they shouldn't or there which has happened then then we just say okay you've lost your privilege for that for a couple days it's it's not a big deal you know you're not going to take away the birthday or anything you're just got to teach them what's okay and what's not and they have to understand why they have to understand well it's because you aren't ready you're you're too young you know, just like we aren't taking dates to Beach Bass. That's our fifth grade party. No <laughs> dates at Beach Bass. We don't do that. You're too young to be worrying about some of this other stuff that you're coming across on the Internet. So that's a struggle that, that we have, and we're going to have to keep struggling with it and making it work because it is definitely not going away unless we have some massive power outage <laughs> that we're all in trouble. But I know, obviously, maybe the most exciting thing at Jambi Dai is your construction and I know that you all were able to have some input as to some of the different aspects of that building what were some things that you tried to keep in mind as you thought for the learners of the future mm -hmm. yeah well I mean that was really fun so I guess back in the day when they redid schools they just redid schools they didn't talk to anybody they had a plan, so they built schools. That's why there's so many schools in our system that look exactly alike, right? So, but then now they, they've started really involving all the stakeholders. And the process when we started was was so interesting because they they basically did it like we do design thinking with our kids. And they we had students and parents and teachers and administrators and office staff all come together to brainstorm on what we thought was the ideal school. And everybody kind of brought their ideas in and they even brought materials, you know, like felt and popsicle sticks and pieces of paper and toilet paper tubes and all that. And we actually did design our own prototypes of what kind of things we thought in a building. So the you know the whole consensus was we really wanted kids to have a place to collaborate work together um be able to do like hands-on makerspace type things design engineering uh flexible seating places that were bright and sunny like right now most of our school is a little dingy and not so sunny and especially now that we're in this <laughs> mud pit with all the construction but the design you can see is very it's going to be very open and we wanted a um, 
a very happy, welcoming place uh, that that allowed movement and free thinking for the kids. So that if you needed to have some intense concentration time, you could block out some stimuli. But if you were ready to collaborate with this class, want to do something with this class, then we have these extended learning areas popping up in the middle. We um, totally wanted it future ready with technology. And I guess we're fortunate that we will be getting whatever the latest smart board. It's not a smart board. I guess it's Promethean, but and all of that to go with it. So really excited about that. Wanted, wanted the children to know that this was a school designed for them, not for the adults teaching them. And it was really interesting, it's been really interesting because we had those meetings for about two and a half years. I mean, this has been, since I got here, we've been talking about this. Once the designs were finished, the architects did a great job at kind of pulling all our thoughts together. And, you know, do we want the gym over here? Do we want the gym over there? We have a traffic problem, so we had to work on all that. And parking is never, we never have enough. We have to work on all that. Had to not encroach on Great Neck Middle and, you know, have to think about all those things. But it all kind of came together. And then once they started breaking ground and, you know, it was been a really slow process, but we're actually, you know, starting to see some results. So we've got one wing that the admin suite is is being redone in the summer my all of these offices will close we're getting the teachers are talk about stress or you know in time they're a little bit over the top right now about to lose their mind because they have to pack and they have to be out of their rooms and some of them are moving to cottages and some of them just have to be ready to have their room redone and and you know it's just a lot to have done by the last day of school because custodial services is coming in first thing Monday morning, you know, so they have report cards, they, all these other things, and, you know, parents come out of work with this and that and the other, but it's, it's really an exciting process, and the kids, the kids were involved, we even had, we had a STEAM Expo a couple years ago where kids were given a project to design something for the new school. So we had our fourth grade designed what they thought the playground should look like. And our fifth grade really talked about some sustainable ways to use the property and conserve water and where we you know, would do that. And the, the younger kids were, were just having fun with designing what they thought was a classroom. Of course, some of them thought we should have you know, a video arcade <laughs> and a candy wall and things like that. But you know, no idea is a bad one. We just took them all and just let them have fun designing and sharing their ideas. So I just hope when it's all said and done, which will probably be really done by the end of, tw- like end of the school year of 1920, but most of it looks, they say it'll be fall, winter, not 2019, but we're already pretty behind, so. But I just hope it's just people come in and say, wow, this is an awesome place to learn and that they want to be here. And a lot of the kids are sad that are leaving. They're like, I'm not going to see it, but it's all about them. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you, I think you mentioned it in a lot of ways. I think this school, maybe more so than any other, does a great job of involving the community and the parents. Is there a methodology to it, or is it just a, you know, you make them stakeholders? What, what is the best way that you found to handle a very willing-to-serve community? Well, I mean, you have to welcome them. You have to, when they come in the door, we greet them with a smile. I take any phone call and meet with any parent at any time. And I know sometimes I've, I've, from other of our more experienced colleagues, they say, you know, you can't do that. It's going to 
kill you. And I'm like, well, if I don't, I feel kind of bad about it, you know, because I want I want to be able to meet the people and I want them to know that I want to hear whatever they have to say. We have our PTA is extremely active and they they just love being a part of it. They don't ex they're very congenial and they really are all about wanting to help the kids. You know, you ever know and then you get that parent who really just kind of wants to be hanging out, but um, for the most part, they a lot of them are juggling part-time jobs or full-time jobs, but they're still very active in the PTA and and that makes a big big deal and we have a good community partnership liaison, you know, the uh, partners in education CEO thing going on we um, do a lot of uh, spirit nights and we try to use the resources of the community we've uh, harvested oysters we've had um, the a lot of the military we've tried to bring them in and they, I feel like they the military population we have uh, over 300 military connected kids out of our 800 so that's a pretty good amount and I feel like they add a fabulous dimension to our school and you know like I said earlier they you get calls from around the world because they have heard about John B. Dye and a lot of we have a lot of ESL kids we have over 40 which is more than most of the schools have because they just keep coming back here because they hear that they like it and I feel that's a hugely important thing to nurture so it's just like you know it becomes your home and you welcome people into your home and you're hospitable and you're kind and you're nice and and they need to leave feeling like, oh, wow, I really, that was a very welcoming place. I can't wait to send their kids here. And, th and they can't wait to send their kids here. And that's what I would say, like, would I want my child to go to this school? And that's the, probably the main thing I think at the end of every day. Would I want my child in that teacher's classroom? What, how would I feel about that? So I want people to know that, hey, we're here. We're here to serve you. Great. Last one. It's been my closer the last few times. Okay. Biggest piece of advice you could give to fellow administrators or educators or coaches or anybody that works with kids? I think the main thing is you have to listen. And you have to listen to everybody and let them know that you really care about what they're saying and you will do whatever it takes to help them out. And, you know, that... I can't remember who said it, it was probably read somewhere, but you know, two ears, one mouth for a reason. And you know, the other one is, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I, there is nothing more true than that. And I, you know, I, that's all you can do at first. I mean, when you first start a job, if, if you get a school, you really just have to watch like that first year and just sort of take it all in. Because if you come in and Dump, dump out the whole tub of Legos and make a big mess and then you know then you've just got to you can't do it you you've got to wait and see what means a lot to people you know change what you have to for the sake of safety for children but other than that you kind of have to take it one step at a time